I'm Dan Clydman, editor-in-chief of Yahoo News. I'm Michael Isagoff, chief investigative correspondent for Yahoo News. While we were in Aspen a few weeks ago for the security forum, we talked to John McLaughlin, former deputy director and acting director of the CIA. He's a man with deep insights into the world of U.S. intelligence and American national security interests. And he also has an unusual avocation, one that we will explore on today's episode of Skullduggery. There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The British government has learned that Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just Russia no is a ruse. We are now joined by uh, quite the distinguished guest, John McLaughlin, uh, former deputy director of the CIA uh, and now teaches at the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, um, but also uh, an accomplished magician. This is something that's known to national security professionals uh, in Washington, um, but not well known to the general public. So, uh, John, this is uh, our chance to um, promote your career as a magician. <laughs> Welcome to Skullduggery. <laughs> Thank you. I look forward to it. Right, I understand and, there is a Russian connection. Yes, to yes, your and I want to start out act. with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you had relayed. Uh, I, I should point out that when we were all at the Aspen Security Forum, there's an annual dinner at the home of Jane Harman, the former uh, congresswoman and. Um, a ranking uh, Democrat on the Intelligence Committee, and uh, and John McLaughlin performs an annual magic show, uh, which is quite uh, the show. I've seen it now a few times, and um, I I think I'm going to dedicate uh, you know this year to exposing how John does these magic tricks. <laughs> but I'm not going to ask him now. But I do want to ask about uh, the times you performed for your counterparts in the Russian Federation? Well, I used magic uh, for others in the uh, field as well. It, it turned out to be, you know, a useful icebreaker in dealing with uh, foreign intelligence services, what we call liaison. It was particularly useful in the Russian case because, as you can imagine, you don't have a lot of touch points uh, to work with in dealing with them. Uh, and they, I wouldn't simply walk in and say, hey, you want to see a trick? They would know, <laughs> and they would probably say, well, we've seen quite a few of them. <laughs> no, they, they would have just generally know that I do this either through their own sources or, or, right. or someone would have told them. And uh, usually it would just arise naturally at a dinner. Oh, we hear you do magic tricks. And this occurs a couple of times, particularly with uh, former SVR director, that's their new KGB uh, Trubnikov, who was a frequent visitor to Washington, and we would see the Russians in Moscow uh, also because even in harsh times, there is a relationship where you can talk. And uh, you know, often at a dinner or lunch or something like that, they would ask me and I would do a couple card tricks. What, what, what's, your, what's your favorite trick? Well, uh, I don't have a favorite. I think uh, 
My favorite trick is a very old trick that I did a version of at Jane's dinner. Uh, the original trick is done with a number of cups and balls in which the cups uh, conceal the balls and the balls move around under the cups. And as I said at that dinner, it's actually thousands of years old and you can find depictions of it in medieval paintings all over the place. Um, that's one. Um, you know, in the realm of uh, card tricks. Uh, there are two or three that would be... Well, the tearing up of the newspaper. Uh, well, uh, that's that my is... signature trick. Yes. Uh, I do that all the time. You basically, well, you, you tear okay. up a newspaper and put it back together, even <laughs> though you... And uh, in CIA, I used to do that for a purpose because uh, I tell the audience in advance, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear up this paper and then it's going to be restored. You ready? And then I do it. And then I ask, how many of you are mildly mystified by that? Usually most hands go up. What's the point? Think of how much easier it is for someone to fool you when they don't tell you in advance what they're doing. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I'd say that the ability to uh, do uh, slights of hand should come naturally to, to good intelligence officers, right? So, Well, actually, magic is a head game. And so uh, more uh, – it's an ex excellent point, Dan, but more to the point is the ability to direct attention. Right. Let's assume you're walking down a street in a hostile area. You know you're under surveillance. Uh, you don't wish to have yourself discovered. Um, how can you divert attention or direct attention somewhere else, or how can your colleagues do that? So the principle of directing attention. People talk about magic. They use the term misdirection. That's the wrong concept. The idea is directing attention. Where do you want someone to look, not where do you not want them to look? Something that uh, Vladimir Putin yeah. uh, is probably pretty good pretty at. Good at yeah. So what, what is the head game that Vladimir Putin is playing with us? I think he's playing on uh, everything that it's so easy to learn about Donald Trump. If you were uh, an intelligence officer assessing Trump, you've got everything laid out on the table for you that you would normally struggle to achieve in his tweets alone and in the way he behaves publicly. So I think his head game with Trump is to uh, play on Trump's obvious uh, characteristics, which are um, desire for flattery, uh, kind of a narcissistic uh, personality, uh, quick to take offense, uh, desire to display um, accomplishments publicly, uh, a desire to say, I'm the first person and only I. So all Trump, all Putin has to do is give him opportunities to do those things. And I think instinctively Trump will be pleased and uh, increasingly susceptible to maneuvering by Putin. Now, at the CIA, you used to have psychological profiles of yeah. foreign leaders. Yeah. Um, to best understand their strengths, weaknesses, and how to exploit them for U.S. national interests. Um, do you do, do the Russians have a psychological profile of Donald Trump? Oh, without question. Without question. And it, it would be easy. Um, and as they've met with him, it would be even easier because uh, they've obviously gained information on him. Uh, they would study everything from what he said to his body English, which is often very revealing. Uh, How so? Well, uh, you know, watch him in the meeting with Putin. Uh, he clearly seems, of course, this is pop psychology now. 
and I'm and I'm not the shrink. Good but, enough. <laughs> but he seems uh, uncomfortable. He seems a little intimidated, uh, not overtly, but uh, he, you know, looking at it, you have a sense of a person who feels he's in the possession, in the presence of an equal, or at least maybe even a very powerful person. Uh, it's kind of an atmosphere of deference. Um, so, I mean, their psychological profile of him, I can't tell you what it is. I can only tell you what most Americans who pay attention to him uh, can infer from what you see with your eyes and hear with, hear with your ears, which in his case is uh, so much less guarded than it is with any other president. Um, yeah. You know, as someone said here at the forum, I think one of the most revealing things about Trump, someone said, uh, when Trump says something that seems unthinking, that's what he's really thinking. And not a hard person to read. He thinks he's the world's greatest negotiator, um, but he seems to me to be far short of that. What would you say the uh, psychological profile of Putin is? And is he harder to read uh, than Trump? Absolutely. Um, I would say the psychological profile is a person who is disciplined, uh, controlled, uh, thinks ahead. Uh, I, I'm not of the school that many are who characterize him as a master strategist who can see 10 moves ahead on the chessboard. But I'm sure he can see two or three ahead and knows kind of where he's going. He comes into these meetings uh, psychologically prepared to achieve something he wants. And um, <laughs> interestingly, I have a book. I'm going to make a plug now. I have a book with two other authors called Creating Business Magic, which takes the principles <laughs> of magic and tries to make them uh, accessible to business people. And one of the things I'm sure Putin does is to um, know where he wants to be at the end of this conversation and to be very sensitive to the discussion as it goes along and along the way maneuvering you toward that outcome, either with flattery, suggestion, um, something that moves you toward the outcome he wants. And he's thought about the outcome before he's he goes into of, a meeting. I, I, this is and, one of my iron rules of dealing with the Russians. And by the way, I'm not anti-Russian. I find them fascinating. My last conversation with Russians about 18 months ago, we had a conversation about literature and uh, – they they insisted we have none <laughs> and, and cited Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and so forth. I had to come back with, uh, you know, Gatsby and uh, – uh, so they, they, they may have us beat on that uh, front. I didn't – Well, they have a longer, a longer literary <laughs> yeah. tradition than we have. Uh, I, but, didn't, uh, I, didn't, I didn't concede. I gave them Moby Dick and <laughs> the great Gatsby and, you know, a host of Mark other Twain? things. Mark, Mark Twain. Twain in there. Yeah, yeah but um, where, where was I going with that? Uh, you had a question, though, that I would – Well, well, just the, the, what the intelligence community's uh, uh, profile, psychological profile of Putin is. And you were saying that uh, he the, thinks two would, or three – or yours. Yeah, mine, mine would be a controlled person who thinks ahead, who has thought deeply and carefully about how to maneuver people to where you want them to be. That is the essence of what a, an operations officer is trained to do. Um, there's a cycle that uh, all intelligence services use. It goes like this, spot, assess, develop, recruit. Uh, I'd say, you know, he's probably very good at the development stage. And that would make, and that would make <laughs> Trump uh, 
outmatched in these one-on-one meetings. And of course, uh, he has has often said that he does not need to prepare for summits. He said that about uh, about Kim, the North uh, North Korean leader. Um, we don't know what happened in in the. Yeah, that's right. I, you know, I don't think Trump is a dummy at all. I mean, I think he's a smart man. I think he's just uh, hampered by arrogance. Uh, in other words, he's been through a lot. Uh, he's survived bankruptcies. Uh, he's wheeled and dealed in one of the roughest worlds there is, New York real estate. And I think that gives him a confidence that he can handle almost anything and he's a good judge of people and all of that. But this is another realm. This is like, uh, you know, this is like not just big leagues. This is like all-star. Mm, right. And uh, You know what's, what's in interesting now. about this is, first of all, Putin, as a KGB officer, he didn't have much of a distinguished career at all, no. right? It was in a backwater Dresden, um, uh, well, not – you know, not in the West. That's uh, where everyone starts. <laughs> yeah, but but he didn't get very far, right? So how, so how do you explain a guy who is sort of a relatively low-level KGB guy, not especially accomplished, um, to be, have to become such the master that he is in the political realm? Uh, well, uh, we don't know how accomplished he was. Um, we really don't know that. Uh, we don't have a measure of that that I know of. Uh, I would say he's had the training, um, and he's had 18 years of uh, training and experience as a governmental leader of Russia. And prior to that, he was an official in St. Petersburg who circulated in that circle of people who are um, former KGB or KGB. So I, I don't portray him as um, the greatest case officer in the world. I simply say... Uh, he's had the combination of intelligence experience. Look, look at it this way. Not everyone in the world is, goes through a training program that forces you or causes you to explicitly consider things like how do you maneuver a person toward a desired outcome? That's, that's not something that everyone experiences. So I don't portray him as someone who was the master KGB officer. I'm just saying he's had that training and he's had 18 years experience in high-level government in Russia. The combination of those things makes him a pretty formidable character. Again, I don't think we should portray him as Superman. Um, All things are relative. How does he do going up against Angela Merkel? I don't think so well. Well, he brought in the big dog that uh, spooked her somewhat, right? And the the famous meeting where (laughs) she was known to be uh, afraid of dogs. uh, And and, and Putin walks in with- Talk about head games. A big dog, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, uh, point taken. But but once the dog is out of the room, (laughs) I think Angela Merkel is his- is his equal right? I, I, the the idea that that Trump was intimidated by Putin is quite interesting. I, I mean, can't prove it. Yeah, but I mean that was your observation. I mean, Putin is a relatively small man. Uh, Trump is a large man. How would that have happened? What? Power, power. Explain. You notice how often Trump uses the term power in his talk. He's powerful uh, in referring to people. He spoke powerfully uh, when he denied that uh, they'd interfered in our election. Uh, I think he admires, again, pop psychology. Uh, I've never met Trump. But I think he admires or he is uh, in awe of the fact that Putin really has control of 
this country of several hundred million people that spans 11 time zones. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he owns the press. He doesn't have to worry about fake news. The press is sycophantic toward him. Huh? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't give him any headaches. Uh, when he wants to do something, uh, when I was last in Russia, I met with a fairly senior individual who has reason to know who said that, you know how decisions are made here? Trump, rather, Putin gathers with four or five of his closest associates on Friday afternoon and they decide what they're going to do. Wouldn't Trump love to do that? (laughs) This is the way Trump wants to run the American government, right? Uh, Seemingly. I mean, that's the feel you get. We don't know, but that's the feel you get from it. Uh, He wants to allocate more money for the military or uh, set up the World Cup or uh, Olympic. He just does it. So he doesn't deal with uh, all of the annoying uh, aspects of what uh, Trump and his people sophomorically term the deep state. He doesn't have to worry about all that. And I think that's Trump looks at that and says uh, he's in awe of it. So I think he, I don't know that intimidated is the right word. I think just he realizes he's in the presence of a formidable character who's got power. So let me ask you a, a longer term question because we often get caught up in the moment um, in the press um, and the minutia of the uh, Mueller investigation. What what Trump has said, what the White House is trying to walk back. But the reality is uh, that um, we are going to be dealing with Vladimir Putin for a long time and the Russians for a long time. Till 2024 at least. At least. And, and I think he'll revise the constitution after that to – That's right. Uh, he probably admires Xi in China. And it's – you know <laughs> we're, we're not in the Cold War anymore. So we're not trying to sort of end a system. Um, we're, we're not going to end up in a, in a war, uh, I hope, a shooting war with, mm. with Russia. So, so how should uh, the U.S. government deal with uh, this challenge going forward? That's a great question, and it is the question I came back with after spending uh, a week touring the region, Ukraine, Latvia, and Russia. Um, at that point, this was a month before our election in 2016, my last visit there, and clearly our relationship, not knowing yet the outcome of the election, was as low as it gets in the post-war Cold War period. The press was all full of anti-Hillary propaganda. Uh, We were there one week after the director of national intelligence here had put out his first assessment with the Homeland Security uh, Secretary saying the Russians had meddled in our election. So it was a real low point. And uh, the question in my mind when I got back was, and we had discussions with the Kremlin, some Kremlin officials and some foreign ministry officials and NGOs, a lot of people. When I got back, the question in my mind was, where does this go? It's not the new Cold War. We know how that ended. It's not going to end that way. They're not going to go away, as you said, Dan. So what's our end point that we want? Uh, Trump is right, I think, in one respect, and that is that we need some kind of relationship with Russia that isn't totally conflictful, that isn't dominated by conflict. I don't know that he's thought this through very well, but that instinct is probably correct, and he's probably not the person to bring it to get us there. But uh, in my view, uh, the way you uh, deal with them is um, the following. First, you accept you understand the point I just made. They're not going away. I think a lot of Americans are lulled into that thought when we talk about a Cold War. They're not going away. Uh, 
Second, um, as long as Putin is the way he is, and that's likely to be the case for a long time, you take steps to limit um, their ability to do some of the things we object to. Um, you're not going to make them stop spying, but you're going to try and catch them and throw them out when you do. You're not going to make them stop trying to have diplomatic inroads into the NATO countries and the EU. But, and here's where Trump is, I think, missing a boat. You sit down with the EU and NATO and you devise a common understanding of when to detect that and what to do about it and make sure you are all lashed up. That you do things to limit their ability to do the things they do that you don't like, accepting that you can't make them stop. Third, you have a diplomacy that matches theirs around the world. For example, they're way ahead of us in the Middle East. I could elaborate, but I don't want to take all the time to do that. Uh, and so you, you do that. And then next, you, um, I, I, my third prescription is one that if you were interviewing um, my friend Ryan Crocker, a former diplomat, one of the best. Legendary, yeah. Legendary diplomat. You ask Ryan the, about anything, <laughs> the word you get from him is engage, 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 engage. Mm -hmm. So we should be talking to them at every level, even in times like this. Um, I think back to the Clinton administration when I was on a part of a group that went to Russia under State Department leadership. I was fully acknowledged as a CIA officer, but about eight or nine of us in a delegation that would go there about every six weeks and we'd sit down and talk with them about everything. They would tell us their story and we'd tell them ours. We would disagree. We would argue, we'd go have dinner, uh, and you didn't come away with the feeling that you'd convinced them, but you you kind of had a sense that you could someone could pick up the phone and say, we got a problem here. And if you lose that, and the last time I was in Moscow 18 months ago, our ambassador there, fine ambassador John Teff, said basically I don't, he didn't have much access to senior levels of the uh, Kremlin. He had entry points, but he didn't have a lot of access. So engage, 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 uh, so that at least you have a sense for what are they doing and how, how do they react? That was, a, uh, uh, that was your response to Dan's question about how we deal with Putin. Um, there's also a very, other, uh, a very big relevant question among your former colleagues in the U.S. intelligence community, law enforcement community, um, and uh, diplomatic circles about how they deal with a President Trump. You made the comment the other day that it's almost as if we have two governments right now. And I want to get you to um, uh, explain what you meant and also address that question of if you were uh, those who had the high-level positions that you had uh, at the CIA, how they should deal with a president as erratic uh, as the one we have. Well, you know, I've briefed four of the last six presidents, and uh, I think this one is different than anything we ever imagined. So you start with that. And I think in the end, you do your job. Someone asked me the other day, do you worry about the security of some of your information? Uh, and uh, would you withhold anything from President Trump? I said, no, you can't do that. You just can't do that. You cannot be in possession of intelligence that affects 
in some important way the interest of the United States and say, I, I can't hold this back. You have to trust the system to operate as it is supposed to operate. And you might, just because you know he isn't a great reader and, and no, apparently not a great attention of, uh, a great fan of detail, you might go first to the National Security Advisor and say, I have this information um, which you can decide is merits presidential attention or not. So you, you, you might do that sort of thing, but fundamentally, you have to do your job. You have to assume um, that the system will work. And second, uh, you have to remember that your job, as Dan Coates, I think, has illustrated in the last couple of days, and you know this will sound cliche-ridden, but in, in fact, this is it. Uh, your job is to tell the truth, and you have a mandate to do that uh, more than any other part of the U.S. government. Uh, it's carved in marble at the CIA on the wall. And that is your shield. Everyone understands that that is your job. And you just have to do it. And if you displease someone, well, I've certainly been in that position, but I've never been in the position where that displeasure uh, amounted to uh, rejection uh, or someone firing me. But uh, that could happen, uh, you know. So you tell the truth, uh, and if they don't like it, then you may be fired. Um, but I, I think that's your job, you know. I, I don't know how else you do it. So we were. I all, really don't know how else you do it. So we were but all. One other thought, you know, people absorb information in different ways. So you acknowledge that, and I hear that President Trump. This is all urban legend, you know. Likes graphics and likes to talk rather than mm -hmm. read you know, turgid prose. Fair enough. Um, I've worked for a lot of people like that. So you figure out how do they absorb information? How can you help them? I, I can tell you that. I mean, intelligence people, they start off with that. How can I help this person? And that means how do they absorb information? What is it specifically they need? And so forth. Let me just follow up quickly on this line of questioning. We were all at the Aspen Security Forum together. Um, and I think you noticed that there was a kind of a shifting in the tides um, in terms of uh, senior, I said that uh, senior members of the uh, of the of the Trump uh, national security team being willing to push back against yeah. uh, the president and even contradict publicly their own president. So, when when did you start noticing this tipping point? What what do you think uh, started it, and what's its significance? I think within the last two weeks, and this is again pretty gossamer stuff, but it seemed to me that the Helsinki. Uh, mess pushed a lot of people over the edge, um, including even some senior Republicans in Congress to a degree. Uh, what do I mean by the Helsinki mess? Well, we don't know what Trump really meant, but it had the impression, it gave the impression of the, the American has been attacked and the president siding with the enemy. Now, he would dispute that, of course, but that's the impression that you came away with. I think that pushed a lot of people over the edge. And, and, and I think we're seeing, the, you know, this, people talk about the rails holding, okay? I think the rails stiffened a little bit in the last couple of weeks where people are just saying, enough, enough. And when I say there are two governments, I mean there's Trump's 
brain and thumb. That's one government. And then the, <laughs> the other government is uh, what they call uh, derisively that sophomoric deep state idea, what I call um, American professionals working to uphold their oath to the Constitution. That part of our government, that second government, is working pretty well. And I think is, I just sense it's sort of stiffening and saying, look, we have to run this country. Uh, you know, he is the president and we'll be respectful and we'll do as best we can to follow his mandates. But fundamentally, we have a judgment here too. We have, a, we have power here too. That's, I, I, that's a, I, I can't prove any of that. I just smell it. Well, um, John McLaughlin, I, uh, we thank you for your insights. Uh, always good to hear from them. And uh, I think we also want to continue to follow your magician's career. <laughs> it's hard to do magic on a podcast, but if there's a way. Yeah, there's a way. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you can do it, I'm sure. Think of a number between one and five. <laughs> Three. I knew. Oh, God, I told you. I, <laughs> I fell for it. I knew that. All right. <laughs> Misdirection. Uh, all right. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Thanks to John McLaughlin for joining us on this week's Summer Friday edition. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. And Skullduggery is also on Sirius XM. Subscribers can catch the latest episode on POTUS Channel 124 every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, which replays at 10 p.m. on Saturday and Sundays at 2 a.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>